Welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs turn their business income into passive income. I am your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. I'm going to show you how to create generational wealth by growing your business and breaking the chains of Wall Street investing. Remember, you need to take the actions that others won't to live the life that others don't. This week, I've got an amazing show with Catherine Tyndall, a CPA who specializes in advanced tax reduction strategy through government credits and proactive planning. And while COVID may be in our rearview mirror, there's still an opportunity for business owners to claim the Employment Retention Tax Credit, or ERTC for short. This credit is for employers affected by shutdowns in 2020 and 2021 who retained their employees. And these credits can be significant. And in this episode, Catherine gets into the qualifications and potential credit amounts. Towards the end, we also get into some strategies on reducing your taxable income by converting active business into passive business activities, and then using passive losses through real estate to offset that income. So tons of great content. Make sure you grab a pen and pencil for some of those parts. We get into some technical things. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends, rate and review with your favorite part to allow us to reach more people. Hey, well, welcome to the show, Catherine. Thanks for having me, Brian. Awesome. So if, if you could, to start, can you give us a little bit of your, your journey from maybe 18 years old to kind of where you're at now and how your, how your business and career has developed? Yeah. So I guess um, a little bit on my background, I started off, I originally wanted to go into medicine because I had a strong desire for my daily work experience to be helping other people. Um, and then as I started to pursue that, I found that it was not going to be the best fit for that desire. Um, so my parents actually had a tax practice when I was growing up. And so obviously being the rebellious kid, I declared that I was never going to go into accounting because it was too boring. Okay. Um, but since, <laughs> since if you're listening and you already know that I'm a CPA, you can see where that <laughs> ended up. Yep. Um, so I think my, my love for accounting started with my first accounting class. And then more specifically, my love for tax kind of came from a combination of really enjoying the problem solving and puzzles element of it. And then the other side of it is, um, you know, tax is a very expensive and intimidating thing for anybody who has to deal with it, um, especially business owners, because it's it's not straightforward. Um, and so I really enjoy the fact that basically half of my time is spent doing uh, puzzles, which I enjoy. And then the other half of the time is really digging into what's going on with people's situations and educating them and really being their advocate. And I find that really personally rewarding. So that's how I kind of got into this career in general. But I always knew when I, even back when I was in college, that I wanted to have my own practice because uh, having control over the relationships and uh, you know the model of the firm and those sorts of things I thought was uh, you know, that's really important to me. So that's part of how I ended up kind of in this area. Um, so I worked at a couple of bigger CPA firms and then launched this practice coming on about three years ago, um, really specializing in my favorite parts of tax, which is more tax planning and then specialty tax credit work. Okay. And what's your typical client look like or the range? Yeah, so yeah, for us, like we work mostly with closely held businesses where it's a family or a couple of closely related partners running a company. Um, and then size wise, you know, we kind of start 
started around a million and then it's just up from there. Um, you know, I tend to deal with the smaller scale. So, you know, one to 20 million. And then my partner in the firm, he kind of uh, does more like the larger scale kind of engagements from there. But that's our typical profile. Um, it's really the businesses is where we focus because our specialty with the tax planning. And that's just where the most opportunity is um, to really be able to use the knowledge that we have to save people taxes because that's just where the um, opportunity is in the tax code. Yep. Yeah. And taxes for business owners and a lot of people that listen to this are, you know, business owners or leaders are looking to start their own business. And, mm -hmm. you know, taxes are like our single biggest expense. And so, yeah. you know, uh, it's, it's a key pillar to, to learn these strategies. And I mean, honestly, I think it's my duty as a business owner to, to learn. And I know a lot of people rely on their, their CPAs and then they're, they're frustrated because their CPAs and aren't giving them yeah. what, what they think is good advice. But then in reality, the, most CPAs look retroactively what happened last yeah. year and then try yeah. to figure it out. Most don't look proactively, which are, you know, what's happening in the future and how can I strategically, you know, make decisions, buy real estate, do whatever to, to in order to, to, to maximize the efficiency. And so yeah. I think that's, um, so I also think it's it's on the business. It's our responsibility to to learn this stuff, learn how it works, and then work. Uh, and, and I'm always the one calling my my CPA and asking, "Hey, can I do this, this, and this?" And he'll say, "Like, no, 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 and maybe." And then we'll go in on the maybe, right? To to figure out how we can make it work. Because, like you said, it's 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 designed to incentivize people, right? The tax yep. code is designed mm -hmm. to, you know, encourage certain behaviors and discourage other behaviors, and it's just a matter of aligning what we do in business to align with what the government wants us to do. So yeah, very true. So what are some of the biggest strategies that you think people kind of are missing out? Maybe when they come to join you, like what are the like eight first easy wins that that are like no brainers? And then what are the maybe some of the ones that, you know, maybe your more advanced one is kind of like an aha moment uh, that, that you work with on the on the tax strategy and kind of planning uh, mm -hmm. arena? Yeah, well, honestly, I think the the biggest, most easy win strategy is uh, being proactive about it. Because a lot of people, they just, they will hire somebody just to do the tax preparation work. And so if you're having to Google things and figure out what you could be eligible for yourself, uh, most likely you're either going to miss out on things or, you know, not know how those things interact. Um but, you know, once somebody starts getting in that proactive mindset of trying to figure out what can I do, like, how can I save money? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to spend half of my year just working for the government through yep. paying tax. You know, what can I actually do looking prospectively? Like, that's the first step. Um, but as far as like specific techniques that I think work really well for a lot of people, the first place that I always look is entity selection, um, because it's one of those things usually people will set it and forget it. And especially in the current environment where you have incentives to have certain structures over other structures, I think it's, you know, when we had TCJA pass a couple of years ago under Trump, that really mm -hmm. changed a lot of um, a lot of the, you know, brackets and infrastructure there so that people who kind of haven't examined their entity structure since then, it's that's an area for opportunity because usually once we can move things around, you can kind of stack different techniques. So entity selection is a big one. And and what's on that? Like, can you give an example of something you see? And is it going out of a C corp into something else, or is it is it an LLC? Where where? Yeah, it's highly dependent on what the person's situation is, um, because it you know certain things phase out at different thresholds. 
how different types of businesses are categorized for the qualified business income deduction. Um, it's really, it's, there isn't like a one size fit all answer to that. But I think the one thing I would say with it is it's, it's one of those things you don't want to set it and forget it. And especially if you're experiencing any kind of significant changes like exponential growth or deceleration, or you're looking to transition your business, um, or you're adding on new income, like income segments in your business, that's the time where it's worth at least a question of reassessing it because all of those things can impact, you know, what's going to be the most functional. I'd say the same thing too with, it really depends on what you have going on personally, because if somebody's got a ton of medical expenses, um, having, having your business life structured such a way so that you could potentially make those deductible, Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be, you know, different scenarios. And then also, you know, how, you know, if you have a spouse who's involved in the business or you've got kids who are involved in the business, all of those things can highly impact some of those bigger picture decisions of where you want the thing to go. Um, and then it also really, it, it really depends too on what your exit strategy is, you know, for somebody where they're just going to, they're pretty much going to be operating out of this entity until they retire. They don't have plans to sell it. Um, you know, they want to transition it to a kid, that's going to be a very different kind of entity analysis than somebody who, okay, I'm going to grow this thing for five years and then I want to sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that, it's just a, it's a lot of different things that will impact that decision. But I think the main thing is, is it, it's a decision that has to be reassessed pretty frequently. Okay. So being proactive, entity selection, uh, any any others that you're seeing as some, yeah, some easy other. The other big one that's just like the easiest win is tax credit related work because those are um, pretty straightforward engagements. And it's just for a lot of people, it's a matter of whether or not you're eligible. Um, So some of the stuff we do in the firm, we kind of half the firm is tax planning. The other half of the firm is specialty tax credit work just because we started seeing a need for it more and more. Um, So my other partner in the firm, he does research and development tax credits. And so a lot of companies just don't even realize that they're eligible for it because the you don't have to be like a science lab developing, you know, new uh, new products in order to be considered scientific enough to get those credits. And then the other one we've been seeing a lot more of is the employee retention credit, which is basically a COVID related uh, credit okay. for employers. So, so on the R and D, can you give an example of one that you've successfully gotten, like a type of company that maybe thought they wouldn't qualify? Or industry. Yeah, it's you know a lot of people who are doing um, like software work or computer work can qualify for it. Um, a lot of companies that are doing light manufacturing, where it's not even that they're developing a product, but that they're developing the process of how they create certain certain products or certain manufacturing processes. Um, you know the technical specifications of how you can get it. I like to tell people if you're doing something where um, you're basically having to spend money to perfect a process. That could very likely qualify for R and D, so it's at least worth a conversation with somebody who does that kind of work. Does does knowledge work qualify, or did you have to like produce something? No, knowledge work can qualify as well. Um, You know, certain things like arts. So if you're doing like you know historicals uh, research or creating artwork or something like that, wouldn't qualify. But if you're developing, um, you know, intellectual property or other things like that, you know, it just depends. It really depends on the facts and circumstances, but I yep. say it's better to reach out to somebody and be told no yep. and to just, you know, try to Google it and be like, oh no, I don't qualify and then not pursue it. Cause some of those credits, you know, depending on how much money you're spending on those activities, they can be pretty significant. Um, usually for people where we see it's, you know, at least a five or six figure tax credit. And very often people continue to do the same kind of 
research activities every year. And so Mm. they'll get those credits every year. Like one we had recently was like a brewery, you know, so they're constantly developing different beer styles, different, you know, yeast and stuff like that. And it's, it's research and development and they very easily qualify. So that's awesome. And it's like a core part of the business. Like they're going to do it either way. Oh yeah. No, they're always doing new formulations of things. And so that, that qualifies, you know, Awesome. Yeah. So let's get into the other big one, the ERTC. Uh, first of all, what's that, what's that stand for? And like, how, how do you qualify? What's, what's getting to that? Yeah. So the, it's called the Employee Retention Tax Credit. It is a tax credit that Congress issued for just related to the pandemic. So it's for tax years 2020 and 2021. Um, it's for employers who maintained payrolls during the pandemic. Um, there's a couple of different ways you can qualify for it. Uh, but I think the main thing to take away with it is very. it can be a very potentially valuable tax credit. It caps out to uh, $10,000 per employee per quarter. So you can imagine if you have 10 employees where they're meeting the cap, for one quarter, if you qualify, that's up to $100,000 of tax credit. So for the, it's for well the quarter, worth for, the quarter. for one quarter. Yeah. yeah. So it's, and you can qualify for up to eight quarters. So it's, you know, potentially a very, um, we've seen a lot of uh, smaller companies qualify for six figure tax credits on it because um, all you have to do is, is qualify under, um, there's a couple different ways to qualify for it. And then, you know, it's a pretty straightforward, okay. uh, you know, there's a lot of interactions in the calculation, but it's very worthwhile to pursue it. And I'd say, you know, basically, if you're an employer that had employees during the pandemic, it's worth at least a conversation with a tax professional about because more often than not, I've seen people who thought they weren't eligible for it be eligible for it. So, okay. And what are some of the the baseline ways to, to qualify for it? Yeah. So, the, there's a couple of different ways. Um, the first way that's the easiest to demonstrate in a lot of ways is if you had government shutdown orders. So if you had in the state that you're um, operating out of, there were restrictions on either uh, the ability to operate or you know capacity restrictions. So like for restaurants or hospitality, you know they were limited to seating, how much they could, how many you know seats they could have occupied, or things like. Um, a lot of companies, you know, if you weren't deemed an essential business and were forced to close or things like that, those those are ways that you can qualify. Um, but barring that, the other mechanism by which you can qualify is by having um, a certain percentage of quarter over quarter revenue drops. Um, and so it, it there's a there's a couple of little weird techniques where you can get quarters to be eligible with like look back periods and things like that. And uh, so I would just say it's it's worth it to yeah. just consult a tax professional directly because it's not a straightforward it's not a straightforward eligibility calculation. Um, and I've seen people even go to their CPA and their CPA told them that they weren't eligible without actually you know requesting the proper like really crunching the numbers on it because it really just does. Yeah, because there's so many to, different ways. Yeah, there's a lot some, of variables with it. Some override the others. Like I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be a central business. You you stayed open, but you had a sales decrease. Then you, yep, qualify, you qualify, right? But yep. on, I, I guess what what happens though if like so for us, we were an essential business auto repair, and but you know some of our like in Philadelphia, there were some capacity restrictions. Now, does that do, do, do they do they battle each other? Like, or is if you if you check one of the boxes, and a lot of times you're good. Yeah, if you check one box, you're in. So yep. it's a matter how we do it is we we start off with the easiest way to qualify people, which is the government restriction orders. Yep. And then if you don't qualify under that, 
then we look at, okay, what's going on with, um, what's going on with the financial data uh, to see if you can qualify under those, those standards. Um, And it's, there's a lot of like little, little moving pieces with the calculation. So that's kind of the simplistic version of it. Um, But I would say for anybody who's, who has employees, definitely consult a tax professional about it. And I would, you know, really insist that they, uh, they look at your actual financial data because I've had people come to me where they went to their CPA, were brushed off. And then when I asked for the specific, you know, it's a quarter by quarter calculation. So when I asked, I said, did they even look at your quarterly profit and loss statements? And they said, no. Um, Mm. I said, well, that's what I need to see because that's how you do that calculation. So if you have a tax professional who isn't even looking at that, um, you know, I would talk to somebody else, but the, um, the main issue with that too, that I've seen happen a couple of times is people can be year over year more profitable, but because of, you know, supply chain issues, they had revenue discrepancies on when they got paid out on jobs. So I had one a couple of weeks ago that was an engineering firm and their permit office was really backed up for like the whole, their permit office like shut at the beginning of the pandemic. So it really delayed out when they got paid on their jobs. Um, and so even though they were more profitable year over year, they still qualified because of mm. the timing discrepancies. Hmm. Um, so it's one of those things where you just really want to have somebody assess your specific situation. Okay. And, and how long do we have until to submit these, these claims is the end of the 2022 or what's, what's the deadline? Yeah. So because it's a tax credit claim, I think a lot of people are getting confused with, um, you know, the payroll protection program was a limited time window and a limited funds window. This credit is, doesn't operate like that. It's just a standard tax credit. Um, so we basically have until the I, the IRS audit window closes. So that's, you know, three years for claims in 2020, it's three years out from there, uh, for claims in 2021, it's three years out from there. Oh, wow. So we've got okay. it, so there's a, time. a while. Okay. Yeah. So you submit this form and then how do you get paid? How do you get paid back? Is it credit somewhere else? So they send you a check, you know, if, yeah. if someone qualifies. So basically how it works is it's, it's a refund of payroll taxes. And so, the, the mechanism by which you claim it is by filing an amended payroll tax return. Um, you file that amended payroll tax return. The IRS processes it. They send you a check in the mail. Um, okay. You know, it, right now be... we're seeing some really significant delays in when people are getting the actual processing and checks back. Um, the IRS, I think, currently has almost 500,000 unprocessed claims. Okay. <laughs> so, so it could take like a year to get the money. Yeah, it could. Something like yeah. that. Um, okay. But it sounds like, I mean, for some, it could be several hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it could be a significant amount of money. Yeah. We, I've seen ones that are over half a million dollars. Like it just, it can yep. be very, okay. you know, depending on how impacted your business was and how many employees you have, because it really comes down to the employee headcount. That's how the calculation, that's mm. the main thing driving that. Um, it can, you know, it's it's well worth the wait. Um, you know, something that we're working on in the practice that's still in development is working with outside financing companies to advance on the credit payments. Hmm. Um, so that's something that we're in development of because it just, I find it appalling that it takes a year for people to get refunded their money. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, you know, and the IRS hasn't had a budget increase for okay. how many, yeah, it's just, it's a mess over there. So are you doing that now, these advances on it? Or is it it's something is it we're developing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's kind of what H and R block does, right? On a massive scale, if they mm-hmm. uh, they can advance people the money and then it gets paid back to to them for yeah. Know, with interest and these are really large claims, so it's 
You know, it's a, it's a more intensive process than say, you know, getting an an advanced claim on like $3,000. Some of these, it's like, they can be, you know, half a million to a million dollar claims, depending on the the scale Mm. of the number of employees involved. Okay. That's, that's awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I definitely got to look, you know, we looked into it before and, you know, I'm probably going to look into it again after this, just to double check. Cause it definitely seems uh, like a great opportunity. Yeah. Um, Hey, so another, another kind of pivot here is, you know, so for business owners who most make most of their money through, through active, you know, active resources, mm-hmm. what are some ways that they can then start to shift the money to, to more of the passive buckets? Cause right. Passive income isn't taxed as much as active income. So any any ideas on some strategies? I, I have some of my own. I just want to hear some of your opinion on it of um to, to lower the lower the taxes on it. Yeah, you know, it really depends on on how you're doing that strategy. You know, often I see where people do the pivot is getting into real estate investing. Yep. Um just because you're able to basically, if you can game it right, you can take paper losses against real income. Um, and so you're generating a positive cash flow without triggering a bunch of tax. So that's usually the scenario I see people go into, but as far as the pure, you know, transitioning income from being active to passive, there really isn't a tax benefit on that side, other than you know some little maneuvers you can do with self-employed tax. Uh, but for the most part, people who are actively earning their income, you've kind of already achieved that ta- self-employed income tax savings, you know, before you get to mm-hmm. the putting things into the passive bucket. Yeah, so through real but estate. It's really around the real estate. Yeah, so that's and that that's what we do, and that's what you know. I think I think a lot of the listeners do as well. So we we invest through you know buying uh, buildings directly or or investing into syndications, right? Yep. But but then a lot of times you know people say that well the, the syndication depreciations can offset you know income that you earn actively, but that but that's not true though, right? Because aren't the buckets there's separate buckets, right? Active bucket, passive bucket, and it can yeah. and it's contained within the the bucket. So then you have to find ways to then increase the, the income on the, the passive side. Um, yeah. And so I know a, a number of people go through the the real estate professional status, right? Yep. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about that and tell you like, how, how can someone qualify and some of the risks? Because I know that it is a yeah. more scrutinized, you know, for the reason that it's very advantageous because you can, you know, yes. buy real estate and then then offset your money. So can you talk a little bit about how the real estate professional status works, how someone qualifies, and then you know, we can kind of get in from there? Yeah. So basically the real estate professional status, it's a common one that we kind of help people go through because it, like you said, it's a really high area of interest for the IRS. Uh, the rules are very picky. It's very easy to disqualify yourself from it. Um, and oftentimes I'll have people where, you know, we might intentionally want to disqualify them from it. You know, it really depends on their situation. Sometimes the easier mechanism is to just turn your main income into passive income. And that's the easiest way to get to that. Um, because uh, if you can reduce your level of participation in your main operation such that you can qualify it as passive income, that's one way to offset those. And and so and and I know it's it, it notes it as material participation, right? So if I yep. material, I'm active, I'm a cog in the machine, right? Then then I'm active. So for me, I you know run the business. We have I don't know 200 employees. I'm I'm the president of the company. Yeah. So I have to then remove myself what from from day to day and and act more as like the board member for long term vision. Does that does that get me there or like for, what does someone have to what do they have to stop doing to not be material anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an hours test. Okay. Yeah. There's a couple of different ways you can fail it, but the easiest way to really conclusively prove it is an hours test. Um, and so they have a, a set limit of how many hours you can participate. Five, 500? 
uh, I think it's 500. Yeah. But so it's, take- yeah. So you have to be, you can either, if you can pull yourself okay. out of it enough that you're not doing mat- materially participating, which is a bunch of different rules around it. Um, that's one way to get that treated as passive. The, the other option you can do too is try to break out things, right? So if you're materially participating in one piece of a business, um, but not really another piece, if you break those out into separate entities, now you can have this other entity, which you which is passive income to you. And that's a way that you can bucket that over to offset with the real estate. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a couple different ways to get there. It just depends on what your goal is. You know, for a lot of people with the real estate professional status, if you, uh, if you don't want to make real estate your life, it's usually not a good way to go. Yep. Uh, a lot of times the easiest thing that we can do to get to that, you know, is if you have a spouse who's really interested in real estate and they want to, you know, they want to get their license, they want to sell some homes or something like that. And then you've got all these other holdings you know, that can be a way to get to it efficiently and easily. But it's one of those things where you really you really want somebody to look at your particular situation yep. and then also have a good idea of what your goals are for like the next five to 10 years as far as how you want a portfolio, how you're earning your income. Um, because it's it just really is dependent on that. Because I wouldn't, you know, I have people where, yeah, rep status would be awesome for them. Um, but they don't want to be the one that's having to manage all these properties. They don't want to, you know, have to shovel a driveway or reconcile a bank statement or do anything like that. They just don't want to have that level of participation. Mm. Um, and so we just find other ways around, you know, how can we try to offset this income against each other, given, you know, the kind of lifestyle that you want to have. Okay. And so on the syndication side, so I invest a lot in syndications and, you know, we get the Mm -hmm. depreciation write-offs, but so even though if, even though if my wife became a real estate professional, would the syndication off still, would that still qualify to offset it? Or is that still considered passive because she's not actively participating? You know, none of us, neither of us are participating on the syndication side versus a rental property that you're shoveling in the driveway or whatever. Yeah. So on the syndications, I, I think you would still be considered passive, but um, it's one of those, those situations, like it depends mm-hmm. how everything's being held. Yep. Um, yep. You know, and you know, I'd say, I'd say for the most part, it's, um, you know, if you're really trying to, if you're trying to like run those projections and those numbers yourself, it's probably worthwhile to engage somebody to do it, what we call a technical memo, um, where they actually just look at, okay, here's what, here's what you've got, here's how things are held. If you do the, if you, you know, behave this way, this is how it's going to, Yep. Like pan out on the tax side versus if you behave that way, this is what the effect yeah. will be. Yeah, but that's that's great, you know, actionable advice, especially for people who own multiple entities and multiple businesses. If there's a non, you know, material role that they can, you know, officially move into, then they invest in syndications, right? The passive yeah. income, they have passive yeah. losses. Now they're not paying tax on 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 either one of the activities and it's all, you know, totally yeah. le- legit. So that's yeah. that's what's about and, with the tax about planning. Gaming and, it. Yep. And, and being proactive. You know, and I think, pe- yeah, people, it's really the mindset of, okay, here are the pieces we have to play with. How do we game this? Um, you know, the law is pretty clear. It's just a matter of arbitraging on the tax law. Yep. Okay. And is that the, that the biggest, those are the biggest ones you see kind of the material role and then rep status. Are there any others to, to game it? On the, on the active income, passive income. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, they get really wound up with, you know, tax planning is retirement planning. I'm not really a big fan of that piece. You know, things that defer tax, 
you're it's not you're just putting a question mark on it. So as far as like actively just wiping out tax, those tend to be really good strategies. Um, and then if you can take advantage of like the tax credits and uh, just knowing kind of what's out there, that's yep, yeah, because that tax credit's a, uh, a straight you know re- refund yeah. back, and mm-hmm. um, is it, that's taxable in- income though, isn't it? Yeah, so that's part of what happens is if you do get a tax credit, you uh, you don't get to double dip, so you do have to pay income tax on the tax credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for most people, if they're in a pass through entity that's organized efficiently, you're probably only you're probably going to get like a twenty to twenty five percent haircut on that. So that's part of the complications with some of these calculations and claims is that it's not as simple as like, oh, I get 10 grand per head per employee. There's a lot of moving pieces and things that interact with each other. Yep. It's awesome. Hey, on a pivot, we, you know, we all have 168 hours in a week. And so, so what are you doing to kind of grow your business, scale your business in order to, you know, maximize the efficiency and, and grow your practice? Yeah, I think for me, my biggest my biggest uh, fan is technology in the firm. So we've really spent a lot of time investing into um, developing out automations around things. So like the work that we do with the some of the tax credit work, we have a lot of automations in place for how those get calculated and uh, reviewed and and those kinds of mechanisms. So I think in an industry like mine, where it's really difficult to find qualified people to do work. The more you can lean and leverage technology is extremely helpful. Um, so that's something that we've done that really buys back a lot of time and being really intentional around, you know, how how we're doing things. Um, and then also, I think the other piece that's really helped us scale and leverage is I'm a big fan of just be good at a couple of like be really really good at a couple of things and not yep. say yes to everything. And I think that's been a good a really good. Um, methodology for my practice. So we just, we do a couple of things and do them really well, and then have a lot of automations and systems in place so that we can produce the results that we want. And that we're not, you know, I, one of the principles I have in the firm is nobody works overtime. You know, if people are starting to have to work overtime, we either have an issue in the sales process, or we have an issue in the production process that needs to be addressed. Oh, wow. I mean, that's impressive for an accounting firm. I have some friends who are accountants and you don't see them from January until, you know, <laughs> April 16th or whatever it is. And it's yeah. uh, their, their wives joke that they're like, you know, widows, accountant widows or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. And I went through that working in other firms. And that was one of the things when I started my own practice, I was like, you know what, I can see why that happens. And there's a lot of uh, broken pieces there. And so we've really pivoted the model of how we do things so that, you know, I, I don't have to burn out you know, staff members or myself just trying to meet filing obligations. Yep. And I, and I imagine your team's not sitting there with a calculator tape either, uh, crunching these numbers. <laughs> no. But, and like you said, do, do, do a few things very well. I think it's a great business model. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes we, you know, as entrepreneurs, we want to try to be everything to everyone and yep. say yes to everything. But the like yep. every yes we say is we're really saying no to something else. Yeah. And it's and it's simplifying our business is sometimes the best decisions we can make um, to, to really grow it and scale it. So mm-hmm. uh, that's great. A- any books you're reading now on the business or leadership side that you'd recommend? Um, I've I've been reading uh, The Slight Edge, and I've really liked that one. Um, I'm not too far into it, so don't give me any spoilers if you've already. Okay, I have not. Already, What's it about? It's it's basically about um, that most. Uh, most development, it's really on the margins of things is where you're making big improvements. Mm. 
So if you're really going to grow a business or grow yourself personally, uh, it's really small improvements sustained over time is how you're going to see exponential growth and how you're going to have that continuous upward trajectory. So that's something that I've, uh, I've found to be very true, both, yep. you know, in personal life and also in business life. And, and then in a lot of ways those go together. You know, if you're not um, exponentially growing on, you know, as a person outside of your business, like that, that lack of growth will leach into what's going on in the business for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it called like the 1% rule. We just try to get 1% better per day. And then, you know, it, that compounded over, you know, any period of time becomes significant. So yeah. um, yep. I think that's key. And it's the same for building wealth too. You know, every dollar mm-hmm. that we can invest in compound, it grows versus we spend it on taxes or, you know, yeah. things that, that don't earn us money. It's, yeah. it's we're decreasing our, our wealth and, um, so it's it's a key and it takes discipline too. It's not it's not yep. easy. Yeah. Uh, but that's great. I'll have to check that out. Slight edge. Um, cool. So where can listeners connect, find out more about you, uh, set up a call if they're interested in learning about these tax credits and any of that stuff? Yeah. So uh, I'm sure in the show notes will be a link to our, our website. Yep. I have a lot of resources and other podcasts and those sorts of things posted on there. Um, I'm also fairly active on LinkedIn. So that's a good place to get connected. But um, through the website, I have you know a lot more information on specifics of of how some of these tax credits work for those that uh, you know want want some uh, nighttime listening materials. <laughs> but I try to keep it interesting because I've found for most people it's the stories around who who qualify. It helps them see kind of what mm. what the opportunity there yep. is for them rather than dry like this is how this calculation works. Um, so that's a lot of uh, what we have on the website to help guide people with what they might be eligible for. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing your wealth and knowledge. I think uh, you know you give people a lot of great things to think about and hopefully go back and you know find some money that's out there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I always joke with people why work why work for the government for half the year when uh... <laughs> yeah you can only work for like a quarter of the year. <laughs> you know you can make some changes and not have to do that. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Well, thanks again. Thank you very much. It was so great to uh, be here, Brian. Really appreciate it. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.